All right, well, let's jump into this. Guys, I want to read you guys a quick testimony uh, that I got. I've been, I've been telling you guys some different testimonies that are going on, healing things that have taken place either in my life or other people that I've known. I'm going to continue to do that. In fact, I'll tell you this, if you have one that you would feel comfortable sharing that you would like to talk about sometime, whether it was you that was healed, somebody you knew that was healed, or somebody you prayed for that was healed, please, please, please talk to me. I'd love to get some of these stories out there because I know we have a lot of them, so they're very cool. This one actually came from uh, Pastor Ruth. Ruth over in the Philippines. She sent this to me last week. Now, this isn't a healing testimony, but this is definitely dealing with the world that we live in there. And so, um, if you don't know who she is, let me give you a quick synopsis. It's that uh, Yoli got us connected with her probably, what, four or five years ago now, something like that? So, uh, whatever. Um, Yoli uh, met her. Did you know her before? Daniel was the one? Okay. Well, she's got a church over there, and we have been supporting them for, she's a long time now. And we send the money every month. And uh, three or four years ago, I had it on my heart to go out there and just spend a couple of weeks there, kind of going through some things with them and on how to do stuff. The one thing is, is when you deal with these people from other countries, American money goes a lot farther than it does here. And so the, when you've never had money, you don't know how to steward money. And so I just really felt like we needed to spend some time out there, and so we did. Uh, it was an incredible experience. She has just got a great heart, loves the Lord. They are solely ministry-focused. That is basically their whole lifeblood. Well, when COVID hit, the Philippines went on complete lockdown. It was illegal to do pretty much everything. Things started to get better, and then they put another lockdown on. And you got to understand, they do not have the freedoms that we have here. Their constitution isn't like ours. Um, it was interesting because they came from a communist country years ago. There was a dictator that was up on the mountain that had, they took me to see his old complex, which is basically a tourist thing now, but it was up on the mountain. And for me, it was the best experience in the Philippines because when you got up on the mountain, it was 75 degrees. It was wonderful. If you remember, for those of you that were following me back then, the pictures, I felt like I got shot with a fire hose every day when I get done teaching at the church. And uh, so we get up there and the wind's blowing and it's, I mean, it's just magnificent. And they're over there shivering and freezing to death and waiting for me to get done. I was never leaving that place. I said, this is my house now. I own this. This is my home. So anyway, so with everything that's going on, you know, when they first started doing the lockdown, she started messaging me and asking me, you know, questions. What do we do? How do we handle this? And I said, you do what the Lord puts in your heart to do. And she's like, I don't feel like we can stop the ministry. And I said, well, then don't stop the ministry. I said, be smart, use wisdom, follow the Lord. So with everything that's going on, things started to open back up. And then they started the lockdown again. It has made it illegal for a lot of this stuff to go on. And so she sent this to me last week. And I'm just going to read it to you as best I can, because sometimes their English and our English doesn't quite match up. Hello, Pastor Chris. I have a testimony to tell. Yesterday, three guards from our village roamed in our street. Then as we were conducting our worship service, they knocked on the gate so me and Jessica, that's her sister, talked to them outside the gate. They said someone in our neighborhood reported that we are having a mass gathering and that there are many people inside the building, which is prohibited because according to the ordinance by our government, 10% of the building capacity is only allowed to gather. I was shaking because we are 75 people in the church hall with no mask because we are singing that time and no social distancing. Then when we asked the officers if, if what do they want us to do, they are asking how many people are there inside the building. It looks like they want to come in and inspect, but they said they will wait for the commander-in-chief, the head, to come and decide on the matter. 
So I instructed Jessica to tell the youth, who, 18 years old and below, to go to the second floor room and hide so if the officers come in, they will see only a few adult people. Then when they went up, they gathered in for a prayer circle. The kids are crying, and my nephew, John James, began to cry hard. Now, John James, he called him JJ, was my little buddy when I went over there. He was probably four or five, and every day when I'd show up, he'd come up to me and he'd just say, I like your hair every single day. I don't know what he liked about it, but he really liked it. So he was my buddy. So John James began to cry very hard. He said that he saw Jesus come and told him, don't worry, JJ, I will protect you and I send my angels to surround you. Then he saw angels all around the building guarding us. After five minutes, the chief came and talked with us about what mass gathering we are conducting. I told him we are doing religious activity and our government approved it up to 10% capacity. To my surprise, he asked us, what denomination are we like? I told him we are Pentecostal. He said, are you a full gospel church? I said, yes. He told me, I am also same with your faith. I got saved when I was in the Middle East. I understand that what you are doing is good and it is for the Lord. Let's just pray for the one who reported you because they don't understand what you are doing. He advised us to be more careful that we don't allow the young people to stay outside and that we just need to lower the volume of our praise and worship. Hallelujah. What a favor from the Lord. I asked the chief if I can pray for him and the two officers. Then he said, it is his privilege to be prayed by a pastor. So we prayed together and released blessing to them. They went away afterwards. Glory to God. He is so good. Isn't that cool? That's good. And guys, that's coming to a nation near you. I mean, get ready. This is what we, should, what we fully expect. This is what the end times is going to look like. So enjoy your freedoms and don't take them for granted. So praise the Lord because He is good. Let's go. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine and reproof, correction and instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what we're looking for. We need to be equipped. And that's what I told her. When we first started talking about this stuff a year ago, uh, you've got to be prepared to do what the Lord says, not what man says. Because today it might be a virus, tomorrow it might be they don't like the words that you say. So you have to be prepared, you have to be equipped. We follow God, we don't follow man. We are obedient to man's law so long as they are in line with what God has said, because we answer to Him. So we have to be equipped, we have to be prepared to answer for everything. And one of the things we've been talking about is what is our purpose on this earth? Our purpose is to spread the gospel. That is why we are saved. That is what we are here to do. And so in order to do that, and to know the words to say, and how we should go about doing that, we must know what the word says. It is our guide. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. If we are ambassadors for Christ, that means we are his representative throughout the entire world. That means when you're at the grocery store, you are representing Christ. And when you're at work, you are representing Christ. And when you're on the golf course, please don't represent Christ, okay? Don't let anybody know. <laughs> Paul plays with me so he understands you know I mean it's so funny and Paul can attest to this is that when you first got out there playing with people and they get talking and there's jokes that shouldn't be told and there's all that stuff going on and then they say so what do you do for a living I said oh I pastor a church and they're like I am so sorry and their language cleans up a little bit and all that I'm like don't do that for me do that because you're going to hell I'm just kidding that's not what I said but the thing is, is that we represent Christ everywhere we go. As we read last week, when God created us, He created us as His image bearers. 
We represent him. How well the job are we doing, guys? Every day is our opportunity. How are we doing? You've got to ask that question. So if we are Christ's representative, knowing that it is on Christ's behalf that we are reconciled to God, we might want to ask the question, what was Jesus doing? Because if we're to be like him, then we should know what he did. So what did he do? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases, torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics. He healed them. Matthew 9, verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So what did he do? Well, he went around teaching, he went around preaching, and he went around healing. If you're his representative, what should you be doing? Well, you should go around teaching, you should go around preaching, you should go around healing. There's nothing different that we should be doing than what he did. The last part of that is, is in Matthew 20, verse 28, he says, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. But just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, he gave his life for a ransom for many. You see, his death, burial, and resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. As we've read before in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, it talks about that. That if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are still in our sins and our, their preaching is futile and your faith is for naught. But he did. He did rise from the dead. And so when we look at this, we look at what Jesus did. He taught, he preached, he healed. In fact, he even gave up his life. If you look at the apostles, what did they do? They taught, they preached, they healed. In fact, every one of them gave up their lives. Fast forward past that point, and you go throughout all of church history, what happens? Well, the people went around teaching underground a lot of times and preaching underground a lot of times, and they would heal, as we, we talked about this a couple years ago, as we began to look at healing throughout church history, and then most of them ended up giving up their lives for the work of Christ. We call them martyrs. This is a commonplace Throughout all of church history. These are the four components that often happens. Do you have to give up your life for Christ? No. In fact, we're to be living sacrifices. Which implies that while you're alive, your life belongs to Christ. Because dead sacrifices don't do a whole lot anymore. But living ones still are sacrificed to God. A sweet smelling, pleasing aroma to Him. Living our lives in a way that makes Him pleased. How are we doing on that, guys? We have to ask these questions because the truth is we don't teach, we don't preach, we don't heal, and most of us, we say that we're willing to give up our lives, but are we really? You know, we have to begin to look at this. Why do we do this? Ephesians 5 verse 1, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Who are we supposed to be imitators of? God. Christ, he gave himself for us. Who have we given ourselves for? Have we given ourselves for him? We talk a big game. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. This is Paul speaking. Who are we supposed to imitate? Christ. He's telling the Corinthians who were followers of him that follow me as I follow Christ. Implying that if he's not following Christ, what should you do? Stop following him. 1 John 4, 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Is that a true statement? I mean, are we teaching, preaching, healing, and willing to die if necessary? Do you guys, I mean, the day is going to come when we're going to be offered a mark, 
And we're going to say, hey, do you want to take this? You won't be able to buy and sell if you don't want to. How many people do you think will be standing in line to get it? And they'll justify it. Oh, it's okay. You know, God wants me to provide for my family and yada, yada, yada. I mean, this is all far-fetched stuff, but yet that's what's going to happen because that's what the Scriptures say. And that's the world we're coming to. We get complacent and I walk with God because we have it very comfortable. In fact, we were listening to this this morning. We were going through a video series about some of these uh, men of faith that have been throughout history. And John Lake was one of them that we're talking about this morning. And it, it was talking about how when you go overseas... You see incredible miracles take place because they have no other hope. There is nothing else that they can go to. And it talked about there was a guy that prophesied, and I don't remember who it was, but one of you guys probably do. But he said, you know, the day's going to come in America where you won't see miracles the way that you used to because as technology continues to go, you won't need God. I mean, think about it. How many people truly trust God for their daily sustenance in America? Because no matter where you are in life, there's a government that will provide it for you. You don't have to depend on God. And the beautiful part about a capitalistic nation is that no matter what you, your upbringing or where you've been, you have the opportunity to move your family up the proverbial food chain, so to speak. So it's like, well, do I really need God to do that? But the day will come where if you don't have faith in God, then what are you going to do? I mean, that's where we're going. So we have to begin to ask the question, okay, if I am God's imager, his representative on this earth, and this is what Jesus did, then I need to be doing what he did, understanding why he did it and what he did. So the question first begins is this. Okay, we know the miracles of Jesus. We've talked about the four messianic miracles and those different things that have taken place and all of that different kind of stuff. But was that all that Jesus did? The things that were captured inside of the scriptures that talk about the stories and the different events, as you may or may not know, is a small fraction of what Jesus actually did. In John chapter 20, verse 30 says, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, this is John telling his readers this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, look what he just said, is that Jesus did many other signs and the disciples were witnesses of it, but they didn't put them all in there. These were written down for what purpose? Why did John capture this information? So that you may believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and may have life in his name. That's the purpose. Has that changed in anything else? No. All of this is to give life in his name. All of it. And Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Now this is Jesus talking. He says, he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Now remember, their Old Testament scripture were composed of three components, the law, the prophets, and the writings, the Psalms, okay? So this is the entirety of the Old Testament. So all things must be fulfilled. Verse 45, he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his names to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. All right, now let's pause. Who is he talking to? His disciples. He just said, as a result of the fulfillment of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, all of the Old Testament, it was written and necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead three days later. 
We know about it from the New Testament, but it really originated in the Old. It was foretold what was going to happen. And repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. So which nation is left out of that? The answer is none. That's why the work that CMA does is so important. And the work with the other people that we deal with is so important. Because we're in a bubble here. Most of us don't go outside of Rockport to preach the gospel. In fact, most of us don't stand inside of Rockport and preach the gospel. But the bottom line is, is there was a purpose for all of this. Repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. They were witnesses of those things. Why Jerusalem? It's the Jewish Messiah. Now, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And this is the end of the book of Luke. So he said, I'm sending the promise of my father. He's already given the mandate. What do you got to do? Every nation needs to have the gospel of Jesus preached in it. But before you do that, stay in Jerusalem. Because in order to do that, you have to have and be endued with power from on high. The promise of the Father was the Holy Spirit. Fair enough? Not the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before. That comes at the time of salvation. But the secondary experience of where you're endued with power from on high. So now let's look at Acts chapter 1. In case you don't know, it was written by Luke. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, why are they asking that? Remember, they thought when Jesus got here, when Messiah showed up, now they're no longer going to be under Roman control. Messiah is going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. They're no longer underneath the power of anybody. That is why they're asking. That's why they were politicking for position. So he said to them, verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or season which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So now, what has Jesus done? Jesus, he taught, he preached, he healed, he died, he rose, and then he mandated. Be my representative. Go out there, do what I did. And not only that, but he said, before you go, you need to have what I had. You need to wait in Jerusalem because the power is going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be able to do what I did. Fair enough? Do we see this? What is he doing? He's equipping them. He equipped them through his teaching. He equipped them through their preaching. He equipped them through his healing. He even equipped them through his death and resurrection. Because remember, that is the cornerstone. So he is preparing them for three years, getting them ready to do the work. In John chapter 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, 
and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Now that's interesting. He's saying, believe me because of what I have said, but if nothing else, the works that he has done... Believe based on that. What works is he referring to? He's referring to all the signs that were given. These are the things. How can you deny them? Did people deny them? Sure they did. Constantly. The Pharisees flat out. It wasn't that they didn't understand they didn't know. They flat out refused to accept it. Verse 12. Most surely I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now stop for a minute. He said, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do. Now, is this a mandate to the twelve? No, it's anybody who believes, which means to put faith in his name, faith, hope, trust. The works that he does, they do. You guys see that? Does everybody... Catching that? He says, greater works because I go to my Father. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Why? Through his name. You see, Jesus was the veil that brought us into the presence of God. Jesus is what has equipped it. His name is the one who defeated death. It is that authority. Authority is key here. We have to understand this. But you've got to get this part. Because what do we think of? We think miracle workers is a calling. I don't know if you notice this, but that's not one of the five-fold ministry groups. We think of, of they've got to have this anointing or something like that. But he says, he who believes. Is there anybody in here that believes in his name? I'm one of them. That seems to imply that the works that he did, we should be doing. Maybe I'm missing that. Let's try another one. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. It says, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, don't you think that's a little harsh? I mean, how many guys have you seen raised from the dead? I'm at zero. Can anybody beat that? But yet he had told them he was going to. He was equipping them ahead of time. Hey, don't worry. I'm going to die I'm coming back. And not only that, but they had watched him raise other people from the dead. If you'd pull that off one time and you tell me you're going to do it again, it's a lot easier to believe the second time. First one's a little tough. But he rebuked them because the witnesses came back. Who were the witnesses? The women. They didn't believe him. So, He appears to the eleven, he rebukes their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now just so you catch this, all the world in the Greek means all of the world. All of the places. You don't skip any. And you preach the gospel to all of the creatures. You and I qualify for that. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Fair enough? These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, 
They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So we see these different things, casting out demons, laying hands on the sick, all of that stuff. The question is, who does this? Who is he talking to? The 11 in this case, the disciples. But again, he says, he who believes will do. He who believes is baptized will be saved. These signs will follow those who believe. Which means what? Every person converted will do these things. When did that stop? Yeah, I can't find it either. But yet we act like it does. You see, what are we seeing? Jesus has prepared them. He, they've watched him teach. They've heard him preach. They've seen him heal. They watched him die. They watched him come back. They're seeing all of these things. He's equipped them. He's saying, this is what is going to happen. Should Peter have been shocked when the Spirit came upon uh, Cornelius and his folks there? He was blown away. He's like, whoa, these are Gentiles. They nasty. That's supposed to happen. He was shocked. He wasn't prepared for that. Should he have been? Yep. That's the same Peter that cut off the dude's ear. That's the same Peter's like, no, I'll never deny you. That's the same Peter says, you're not going to die. I'm going to see to it. Didn't have a good track record. It got better. You see, what we see is that Jesus equipped them. And through their work and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's like here we are to do the exact same thing. We can't be his imagers, his representative, until we're doing the same things that he did. We put Jesus up here as if he's some sort of God or something. That's crazy. But he literally gave us an example of what we're supposed to be doing. Look at Luke chapter 10. Let's look at this one. We're going to start in verse 1, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And these things, the Lord appointed, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. So you notice that there are more than 12. If you've gone to public school and through common core, 70 is more than 12. He sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So he had been there. He sends them out first. And he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. So therefore, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Do you know that that's not a good thing? If you have a lamb and you see a pack of wolves, you're not like, go play. <laughs> but that's what he's essentially doing. He says, carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals. Now, why is that? Don't carry your needs. They will be met. Greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house, whatever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things as they set before you, and heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God is near to you. Now that's interesting. You go into the house, you eat whatever they put in front of you, and then he says, I want you to heal them. Now here's the thing, he hasn't died, he hasn't been buried, he hasn't resurrected yet, and the Spirit of God has not come upon them at this moment. But he had an authority, and he had turned this over to them, because why? These 70 are his ambassadors before he gets there. He's representing them. I've heard stories about preachers that I don't want to give names out there, but some of these you've heard of, where they get an entourage. You ever heard of that? 
We don't have that here, nor will we ever, but it does happen from time to time. And they send in a crew ahead of time before the big preacher gets there to make sure everything is right the way they want it. They want their water at 37.4 degrees because 38 is too warm. So he said this, heal the sick and let them know the kingdom of God has come near you. What do we call that? Preaching and teaching. Let them know. But whatever city you enter, verse 10, and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you, but I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day of, for Sodom than for that city. Now, what did he say? If you go in there and they don't receive you, what should you do? Move on. Don't fret about it. But what happened? He still preached. The kingdom of God's come near you. You've rejected it. You've made your choice. Verse 13, woe to you, Therese, and woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, break that down. He who hears you hears who? Jesus. And he who rejects you rejects who? Jesus. So you're in his stead. You're there on his behalf. If they won't hear you, then they didn't hear me. If they reject you, then they reject me. If they'll listen to you, then they're listening to me. It's almost as if that they were his representatives doing what he was to do. Sound fair? But not only that, he said, he who rejects me, being Jesus, rejects who? The Father who sent Him. The all-loving One who sent His Son to make all of this possible. We get that? So, that was His mandate. Now they come home. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. Now, that's interesting. Because remember, there was exorcism that went on, but it was a whole process that they had to go through. But here, it's like, they're shocked. Because the demons had to bow their knee to the name of Jesus. Why? Because all authority had been given to these 70. So they're shocked. They weren't prepared for all that. They didn't know what that had to do with anything, but here they are. Jesus said in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, Serpents and scorpions, we're not talking about bugs and snakes. These are demonic terms that are being used here. So yes, if you don't like snakes, you can use a righteous indignation if it makes you feel better and kill them all you want, okay? But that's not what it's talking about, Paul. Nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name are written in heaven. Now think about that. What is he saying here? You rejoice because of whom you belong to, not the side things, not the extracurriculars. You rejoice in this. It's kind of like, you know, this kind of just part of the territory. It's kind of like being born into the right family, being born into any family. Do you know that children have unfettered access to a refrigerator? You know where they don't? The neighbor's house. They'll eat you out of house and home. If they eat the neighbors out of house and home, you're getting a phone call. You see, it, there's something to this here that he's preparing them for. 
Verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, who the Father is except the Son, and the one whom the Son wills to reveal to him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, to hear what you hear and have not heard it. All the prophets up to that point had been vying for this day when Messiah comes. What was going on here? They represented Jesus. When you represent Jesus, you're equipped with a certain ability and a certain responsibility to do the works that he had done. We have to remember who we represent. Because what we tend to do is we get away from the simplicity of Scripture, which is a supernatural thing, and we go more towards a natural where we talk about discipleship. We're going to get you free through a matter of steps and baby steps and get you free from the power of the enemy. I mean, that's kind of this works-based thing. And what happened with Jesus and the disciples is he got them free and then he discipled them. They broke the power of the enemy. The biggest thing here is what we have in our world is a bunch of cops who don't know their authority. And what I mean by that is that if you, an officer knows his authority and jurisdiction, what he can and cannot do. He is a representative of the local government, the local law enforcement. He, he is there to be there to catch you doing the bad things you're doing, like speeding. And he knows that because he can pull you over if you're going 61 in a 60. Can't he? Will he? That's another question. But can he? I got pulled over going 63 in a 60 once. You know why? The tag on the back of my car fell off. So he decided to jump on that 63 thing. That was his excuse to say hello that day. It was an expensive day. Let's just leave it at that. So what we're looking here is like, do we know what Jesus has given us? You see, when the 70 went out, he said, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. Now go do it. And they came back. They had done it. But is that true for us? Because we have this where Jesus has simply said, here's what I want you to do, and here's what I've given you to do it, now go do it. And what do we do? Well, that's for somebody else. That's a calling. I don't have that gift. A prophet's not without honor in his own hometown. We've got every excuse in the book. We've got that old cliche that says, see people like Jesus. How do we, how do, we do that? What did Jesus see in people? We'll get into that a little bit more next week, but if we're supposed to see people like Jesus saw people, when he saw people, what did he do? He taught, he preached, he healed, and he died for those people. You see, we look at healing as some sort of reward, but it really isn't. It's not a reward for good things. It was a sign. Let's look at Matthew chapter 17, because we often screw this up. Verse 20 says, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So what did he say? The faith of a mustard seed will move mountains. What do we say? The faith of mountains will move mustard seeds. 
We're like, well, I just got to build this up. I got to do that. It's accepting what Jesus has said and Jesus has done. How come we don't struggle with faith for salvation? Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Just ask them. They never stop to ask. It's like, okay, well, what did Jesus do and why did he do it? And what do we have to do to be a part of that? It's like, well, I'm a good person. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Are we the children of God or not? The answer is yes. If you are born again, you are a child of God. And if you're a child of God, that comes with benefits and that comes with responsibilities. Don't be one of the Hilton kids that just take for granted everything that's been done by their father that's, that's given them, made them millions and millions of dollars, and now they get to ride the coattails. Look at what Jesus did and mimic it. Now, let's look at a couple more passages, and I, I promise I'm going to get you out of here soon. Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that means if you're in Christ Jesus, what condemnation do you see? The answer is zero. It's been taken care of. For the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What this is saying is that if you're one of those born-again people, that you walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the spirit to be carnally minded is death to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God so are we spiritually minded or are we carnally minded do we respond to things the way Jesus did the way he said to or do we respond to things in natural means it's a question we have to answer. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit uh, of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Is that a true statement? It's if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. And if it does, what should happen? Our lives, our mortal bodies should have life. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage of again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together, doing what he did. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the earnest ex expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves 
ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows that the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknow he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. There it is, that immature of Christ once again. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we, he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels and principalities, powers, things present nor things to come, height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ our Lord. Why? Because he laid his life down. Remember what we read last week. We read that Jesus sowed his life into the ground as a wheat, a seed of wheat falls and produces a harvest. God did not plant his son to reap servants. He reaped children of God. And with children comes an authority and an expectation and a job. And we are going to have to answer for all of that. You see, the things we do, at some point we will give an account to God. And one of these days we're going to stand before the Lord and He's going to look at you and He's either going to say, well done, or He's going to say, well, you're done. Where do you want to be? Let's look at one more passage. Matthew chapter 25. This is the parable of the sower. We know this very, very well. For the kingdom of God of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now understand talents. This often gets turned around in like musical abilities or stuff like that. This is money. He gave them money according to what? their own ability, the, what they could manage. So he received the five talents, went and traded with them, and made another five. He likewise uh, received two, gained two more also, but he who received one went and dug in the ground and, his, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled the accounts with them. And he had received five talents, came and brought five others, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done. Good and faithful servant, you are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. And look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And the Lord said, and well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. 
Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. But look, there you have what is yours. And the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has, has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, all three had to give an account for what they were giving. Here it is. This is your responsibility. I want you to manage this. Two of them did something with it. One of them made excuses. Where do we fall? Because at some point in our lives, when we are standing before the Lord, He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? I gave you my word. I gave you an example. I've done everything for you. I've equipped you with my spirit. And all I've asked you to do is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I expect you to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I've made that abundantly clear for you. What have you done with it? And if your response is, Lord, you don't understand. These people watched me grow up. Lord, you don't understand. I didn't have the gift of healing. Lord, you don't understand. I'm not a good speaker. I couldn't sit there and declare this message. What is his response going to be? You see, we're his imagers. We're his hands, his feet, his mouth. We're doing what he did. At least we should be. As we continue on this, we have to look in the mirror. Because there's a lot of us that wake up every day and just look to get by. When the whole world is in front of us, people around the world are being persecuted for their faith, and we take all of this for granted. It's time to get in the game. So let's pray, and let's get out of here. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you have equipped us with all things, Lord, and I ask that you convict our hearts and put a burden to share the gospel, that we will stop being lethargic, that we'll stop putting the cares of this world and all these things above you, Lord, making excuses, doing things that maybe we shouldn't be doing, Lord, but that our heart belongs to you, our lives belong to you, our words belong to you, Lord, our actions belong to you, everything we have belongs to you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you have given us all things and you continue to do so. That you work with us where we are and you continue to prune us where we need to be pruned. That we are growing and becoming more like you to represent you on this earth, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunities that we have. That you are opening doors every single day that we can share the gospel. To do the work that you have called us to do where we are, when we are. Lord, I thank you that you have given us everything. And I just ask that you put in us boldness to step out to do what you have called us to do that you might be glorified in every aspect of our lives, Lord. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday.